Good morning. Trust that you had a good fourth. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. We're continuing our study on the fear of man and the fear of God. As I've mentioned in the past two weeks, and I'll continue to mention, this study came from Capitol Hills Baptist, and we've um, tweaked that material to and added some of our own. Last week one, two weeks ago, we looked at the fear of man, how that's a universal struggle for all of us, how it's something that we we deal with on a daily basis, how we fear man, why we fear man, how Scripture addresses the topic. And then last week we looked at what it means to fear God, and we worked with a definition by Ed Welch, reverent submission that leads to obedience. And we saw how sin... At the fall, when sin came along, we exchanged a fear of God for a fear of man. And only by the gospel can we hope to have that reversed. Today, and then for the next two weeks, we'll be looking at specific, three specific ways that we fear man. Today, we'll consider that we fear man because we fear that people will expose us. We fear that people will expose us. In following weeks, we'll look at how people reject us or harm us, and why we fear man because of those two reasons. But today we will look at fearing man because they will expose us. David David Wells, not Welch, Wells, David Wells in his book Losing Our Virtue says this, At the root of all experiences of shame is the sense that we have been exposed and uncovered. We know ourselves to be something other than we hoped. And this revelation often comes when others come to see, accidentally and without warning, a side to us about which we feel feel vulnerable and embarrassed. We feel as if we have been wounded by what they now know. So the fear of scorn is part of the experience of shame, as is anxiety. The fear of exposure has been around since the fall. And if if you're in your Bibles, if you're not, please turn with me. Genesis 3, it's it's... Uh, happened at the fall, but then it's become even now today one of the more foundational parts of humanity that we would fear those around us, that they might expose us for what we are. Look at uh, Genesis 3 there. Let's start actually Genesis 2 and verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man... And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There was no shame, there's no fear of exposure before the fall. Everything was open and transparent because they weren't, it wasn't about am I above this person or how do I stand before this person. It was in a perfect world and they sought God together. What do you fear most about other people finding out about you? What do you fear most about other people finding out about you? Here's some examples. You're at work, and you happen to be checking 
Maybe the, your favorite news site, your favorite blog site, maybe a favorite sports site. And then the boss walks in. Hey, I'm just checking my email. Is it wrong that you're looking at a non-working site? Maybe not. But why did you close it down so fast? Why did you move it over? It's oftentimes because we want to be seen as something that we're not. Giving an impression, creating an image different than what we are. The image, at least in the work situation, that I'm more dedicated to this job than I actually probably am. How about this one? You're running late. You're running late because you stayed up too late the night before and then you overslept. But man, I'm sure glad there's a bunch of traffic on the road today because that gives me a really good excuse for why I'm walking in a few minutes late. Those are fairly harmless examples, but they do speak of the deception of the heart, the depravity, the darkness of the heart, that we want to create an image because we fear how others would relate to us, what they'd say to us if we were really exposed for who we are. Now, those are fairly harmless examples. Probably nothing uh, in some shape or form wrong with some of those things. But those are just small, innocuous examples. You bring them on, and if it gets into um, struggles, addictions, lusts, anxiety, fear, worry, it gets into deeper sin, and now it begins to really manifest itself in some interesting ways. You don't want people to know. You fear. If I'm exposed... For really the sin that is there, what will they, how will they respond? <clears throat> it is important to note that in considering our fear of man, as it pertains to us being exposed, it is not to uh, encourage us to get the worst and the deepest and the darkest sin out in the open. I'm not in, ex- articulating that if you're fearing that somebody's going to expose you for who you are, the way to defeat that is just to come on up here to the pulpit, I'll give you a mic, and you just read it off, your list of sins. In fact, I think that's very dangerous. Certainly, Scripture says we are to be open and transparent, but we also should be modest and wise in the way that we do these things, very discerning. So my suggestion would be a pastor, a mentor, a parent, a husband, a wife, an accountability partner, Someone that you could go to and confess the sin, but confessing sin in its broad and great detail uh, in the in open or even to an individual um, can actually be very dangerous because you can bring other people into sin that they may not uh, be interested in going in or may have no understanding about. And in your desire to uh, relieve yourself of that shame and fear, you're actually causing a stumbling block to others. So as we go through this, uh, I would certainly encourage repentance and uh, turning from sin and confessing it and such and so forth, but to do that in an appropriate manner. Now, we've read Genesis 2, 21 through the end of the chapter. Everything's perfect. And then in seven verses, everything shifts. So let's look at Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. Quote from the uh, notes on this study. When the creature attempts to take the place of God, immediately a claim is established that the creature does not have the resources to meet. In other words, we claim to be God, and that's what happened. They knew good and evil, but we don't actually have the ability to become Him. And that shortfall, there is shame and exposure, so we hide from Him and other people. Fear of God was exchanged for the fear of man. Ed Welch, every day is Halloween. Putting on our masks is a regular part of our morning ritual, just like brushing our teeth and eating breakfast. Underneath the mask are people who are terrified that there will be an unveiling. And indeed, the masks and other coverings will one day be removed. If we feel exposed by people, we will feel devastated by God. One way to avoid God's eyes is to live as if fear of other people is our deepest problem. They are big, not God. We raise up others in the place of God. We make people big and God small. And it should be the other way around. Now, sin uh, is not mutual and exclusive. So fear of exposure, fear of man that we will be exposed is tied to certainly uh, other things. You can't, it's not all one specific thing. It's all in a package. So you might uh, fear, let's take the work example that we had there at the beginning. You might fear that you're going to be exposed as less dedicated an employee than you, maybe you really are. Your boss will, can, is going to find that out. You'll be exposed. But then that leads you to fear of rejection. That somehow your boss is now going to fire you or he's not going to treat you the way that you would like to be treated. So that all these things, and then you, get, you start to get anxious and that's going to lead to some discouragement. I mean, it's just a whole nice little ball of wax, unfortunately. But just like sin is tied together, Scripture gives us the, the means, the ability to combat that sin, gives us the truth to turn from it. And just like one sin leads to another, and that starts the snowball going and it gets bigger and more messy... If you begin the sanctification process and begin to attack, attack one sin, let's take to the fear of man, for instance, you attack that one sin, you begin to fight it, uh, that starts a snowball rolling in the terms of sanctification. You begin to grow and understand <clears throat> how you can be more like Christ. <clears throat> let's look at uh, Genesis 3, a little more detail. How do we demonstrate fear and avoid being exposed? And if we put Genesis 3 under the light, we come under about three ways <clears throat> we demonstrate fear and avoid being exposed. Look at Genesis 3, 7, and 8. Number one, we hide and cover. So we don't want to be exposed. We're fearing that what men would think. So we're going to hide and cover. Then the eyes of both were naked, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves covered themselves 
from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And there is nothing new under the sun. We have come up with more sophisticated ways of hiding and covering than some fig leaves and hiding from God behind some trees, but we still hide and cover. We play the social game as carefully as possible to give the best impression of ourselves as possible. We use the internet to feign transparency. And the internet probably now is the biggest, most innovative smokescreen ever known to man on how to have a, just a really lovely front or whatever front you want it to be. But you can certainly hide and cover behind it. That's number one. Number two, Genesis 3, we seek to escape. We seek to escape. They hid, they covered, they, they were seeking to escape the presence of the Lord. They heard Him walking and they sought to run from it. We seek to escape. Quote, Sometimes we escape because of our fear, and other times we fear that our forms of escape will be revealed. There's two sides to that coin. We fear, we escape because of our fear, and other times we fear that our forms of escape will be revealed. And I'd say mine would be the second, fearing that forms of escape will be revealed. We don't want, continuing the quote, we don't want our sins or weaknesses to be revealed, so we do things to escape. Maybe you excessively daydream or fantasize. Maybe you lose yourself on the internet. Maybe you have a particular food or eating habit you turn to. Maybe you turn to television or maybe books. You seek to find comfort in that thing or you seek to lose yourself in that thing in order to comfort what is a sin or weakness or vulnerability in your life. And that's the key to that escape. Is, is dreaming necessarily wrong? No. Is looking at the internet necessarily wrong? No. Is watching television necessarily wrong? No. But it is when it's used as an escape mechanism to dodge, to find comfort uh, instead of dealing with a sin or weakness or vulnerability. We seek to escape. We hide and cover. And then the last one there in Genesis 3, you see uh, in verse 12. We hide, we demonstrate fear, avoid being exposed by seeking to uncover and expose others. We blame shift. Look what Adam does. God, in verse 11, he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. Hey, I'm not by myself in this. There's somebody else. Whew. I'm not quite as bad because she was... We do that all the time, don't we? Okay, we, we shift the blame. And if we can just find somebody else, or we, when we hear about somebody else that does something worse than we are, oh, we're relieved. At least we're not alone in this. Or somebody's worse than I am. We justify our actions as uh, by finding someone else that is worse. How do we respond when someone else is exposed for their sin? How do we respond when scandal and deception is revealed in another's life? And it's interesting. We don't, in today's world, necessarily just sit and hear about it, we actually go look for it. The tabloids make a ton of money. The news sites make a ton of money. And they, they're not, you know, we always say, well, we want the real news. Actually, no, we want news that is interesting to us. And what's interesting to the American public, us, is whatever is the latest scandal, the latest uncovering of sin. 
We demonstrate fear and avoid being exposed by seeking to uncover and expose others. Or we rejoice in that. Or we just find a sigh of relief. Oh man, I, that sin's bad. But at least it's not as bad as mine. Or at least it's better than, at least it's a little worse than mine. Internet and television have made the atrocities of sin easily available for our viewing pleasure at our leisure. Where do we hide and cover? Where do we seek escape? Where do we seek to uncover and expose others? Five things here from the notes of ways that we seek to escape or seek to hide and cover because of fear of man, fear of exposure. We do this in private. We hide in private. It's manifest in our private moments. How is fear manifested in your private life? What thoughts run through your head that you would be terrified of someone else knowing about you? And let's be honest here. I, it may not be, and I, I hope it would be, not be, some huge sin. It could just be, oh man, I just hope these people don't drop by today because my house is not clean and if they see my house, <gasps> or whatever it would be. My room's not been kept in order. I hope these people don't drop by at 7.30 because I'm not getting up until 8 and I want them to think I get up at 6 because the better Christians get up at 6 rather than at 8. You know, how many times have you been in... How's your personal discipline going? Pretty good? Been getting up in the morning? Yeah, I have been getting up in the morning. Not the time you want. You think I'm getting up in the morning, but I have been getting up. We do it in private. We do it at home in our close relationships. Number one, private. Number two, at home in close relationships. And at, in, in the home is where the closest relationships are. And yet that is where the, the hiding and the, the covering mechanisms get the most sophisticated. Because you get close to this person and you know everything about them or you think you do. And yet this person you're struggling with and you don't want them to know. And so you really jump through amazing hoops in order to not really reveal what you're struggling with. Thinking, if I'm exposed for what I'm working through, or what I'm thinking about, or what sin I'm dealing with. They're not going to love me. They're not going to treat me the way I deserve. At work. We don't want others to know, hey, I'm leaving early on Tuesday morning. Why are you leaving? I'm just going to go be with the family. Actually, you're going to a Bible study, and you're not interested in the workplace knowing you're a Christian. Of How, how would they feel about you if they knew you were a Christian? Would they treat you differently? The boss treats you well, is even complimented in front of others. But what, if, he, if he really knew what was going on, how would the company treat you then? It really gets interesting. At church. What? We actually can, we can hide and cover, seek to escape at church? Well, it says, more often I overhear people who talk as if the church were their enemy. Sometimes these people have been hurt by people in the church and then make a decision not to be hurt again. They generalize from the specific case to the entire church. If one person hurt me, then the church hurt me. At other times we act as if the church is an enemy because of our own sense of shame. In other words, since we can see the things in our lives that shame us, we assume that others see them too. And usually, unusually, or usually however, we treat the church as an enemy because we have not been taught by the scriptures." Unquote. If we, well, love to think we're just good, close believers, and everybody knows about everything, but in all honesty, nobody knows about anything of really what's going on, and we often fear that somebody will know. And how will they treat me then? 
And then the most audacious of them all, we try to hide before God. How silly. That the God of the universe who can see everything. I mean, can you imagine Adam and Eve? Hey, God had just created everything. There's a tree thick enough for me to hide behind and he's not going to be able to see us. This loincloth, these fig leaves I have sowed, he's not going to be able to see. And we do the exact same thing, don't we? God, God can't see this one. I can hide from him. No, we cannot. No, we cannot. I will say, in, no, in noting this, that there is a world of difference to how we deal with this than how the world deals with this. Um, even the, the Christian who is at times uh, really kind of putting up boundaries and putting up blockades for people not to see what's going on is far more transparent than the world is. And oftentimes this is what is very um, appetizing to the world when they see Christians. Man, this person's very loving. They're very care- caring. They're humble. They're open. They're and, and yet we're sitting there thinking, oh, if you... You think I'm humble, open and honest. I've got so much hidden. And yet, as compared to the world, it's oftentimes very attractive. And how we deal with each other is a lot more attractive to the world. Even, even, even with that fear, the way we encourage one another, the way we talk about things uh, that are much different than the world talks about. So there, there is still a big shift uh, a change when Christ comes on, but we still have got to fight the sin. The culture around us is ever seeking to refine tools to avoid being exposed. So if we're, if we're avoiding being exposed in all these areas, what are the tools? Uh, think of the internet. That would be an incredible tool for good, but it's certainly one that could be used for evil. And the sheer amount of information available at your very fingertips is just incredible. It's magnificent. It's unlike anything that the world has ever seen. And yet we... In that hyper-connectedness that we have available to us, we're probably never more lonely of a culture than, we, than, than any culture before us. We use the tool of the internet to create a false reality of who we are or immerse ourselves into the drown of the noise and difficulty of dealing with the real-life issues and hope that the false reality will become the true reality, and it never does. You can connect to more people quicker than you've ever been able to and yet you've also been you've never been more real uh, unreal with people than than in times before individuals all the time connect all the time with others on the internet via email chatting texting social media etc as a means of dealing with their sin or drowning it out and you're not willing to deal with the root cause of their sin a heart in need of a savior now i'm certainly not against technology because the point is not the technology here the point is the heart that is sinful and seeking to use whatever tools available to uh, mask out the sin of fear of being exposed. Let's look at more scripture here. We've already looked at Adam and Eve. Let's look at some other examples of those who feared shame and exposure. Look, go with me to Second Samuel eleven. Second Samuel 11. We have, the, we have the story here of David and Bathsheba. And the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him 
and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Reba. But David remained at Jerusalem. And then he begins to go into this affair that he has with this woman. And once he does it, there is a immediate sense. He knows, man after God's own heart, he knows he's done wrong. And immediately the sphere of exposure kicks in, and he begins to jump through an incredible charade, an incredible line of hoops to avoid being exposed. Verse 6, So David sent to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing, how the people were doing, and how the war was going. Hey, everything's hunky-dory, Joab. I mean, Uriah, we're in the middle of a war. How's it going out there? He's completely seeking to set him up. Go down to your house. Wash your feet. Be with your wife. Uriah is a man of honor. Uriah slept at the door of the king's house. Verse 9, with all the servants of his lord, did not go down to his house. All right, that tactic didn't work. Let's, Let's shift again. Verse 12, Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today, tomorrow I will send you back. Okay? If, if lying to him is not good enough, if deception is not good enough, we'll try other means. Let's get him drunk. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day. In the next verse 13, David invited him and he ate in his presence and drank so they made him drunk. That evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord but did not go down to his house. That won't work. It's just the measures continue to pile up. Deception doesn't work. Lying doesn't work. Drunkenness doesn't work. Okay, let's 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 murder the man. Let's set him up to be killed. And even that doesn't solve the problem, does it? Still has fear of being exposed. Still has the fear of being exposed. But as much as David struggled with that, we can go to Psalm 51 and see how he responds when that fear is confronted and he's brought to repentance. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. The sacrifices of God, verse 17, are a broken spirit. A contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. David responds so well when finally brought to confrontation with his sin. Interestingly enough, what's David fear? David fears being exposed and all the shame that will come with it. And yet that exposure and bringing about that shame is exactly what he needed to happen in order for him to get relief from this burden, which is what God finally does and brings him to repentance. Let's give another example. Let's go over to Proverbs 17. Fear of exposure and shame is not isolated to the individual fearing that. It can be brought on to others as well. And we see the shame and the grief that parents feel when their children act foolishly. And you see this in Proverbs 17.25. A foolish son 
And we could, uh, a, a young person who is, is walking in sin, who is fear of being exposed in sin, and the shame that will come with it, is a grief to his father and a bitterness to her who bore him. And I would mention simply that sin is never isolated to ourselves, is it? It always impacts others. There's always others around us that have to bear it, bear the grief, bear the sorrow that come with the exposure to that sin. Adam and Eve, David, Bathsheba, um, Proverbs, Job, there are many uh, instances in Scripture of people that have that deal with fear of exposure, the fear of the shame that will come from sin. Let's ask some application questions here as we begin to wrap this up. Let me let me ask let me ask three or four of them here. In what ways? Not looking for answers. You think in your in your own life here. In what ways is your private life different from your public life? Well, there are very applicable ways that your private life should be different than your public life. But in terms of living one way over here and another way over there in order that you would not be different because you want to create an image so you'd be accepted, you'd be all these other things over here, what ways are those happening? Are there sins that are easy to confess to God but not to another person? Oh, that's a difficult one. Oh, God, I just want to tell you this. Because if I go tell my wife, if I go tell my accountability partner, if I go tell my pastor, I, I can't do that. That's too hard. That's interesting. Are there, way, are there sins that are easy to confess to God but to another person? I think every one of us would say, yes, there are, there are sins that are much easier to confess to God. And we'd rather do that. What are things about yourself that would you rather other people not know about? Certainly there's some fine things, but there are some things that you're, we're seeking to hide. And again, they, these things may not be sin. They just may... We, that's the fickleness and the silliness of sin. It could be something so insignificant. It could be something that's really no big deal at all. And yet we, we've got such a fear over something so fickle and silly. that If people would know about this, they... Sin is foolish. Last question as far as application. What are your what are your tools of avoidance? What are your tools of avoidance? Internet, television, phone, comfort food, pornography, gossip, lying, waste of time, physical activity. The list can go on. Some are sinful. Some are not. And, but yet, regardless of what they are, if we're going to that to escape, we need to pray and confess, seek repentance about these things. What should our response be to the fear of being exposed? I think the, the first thing is, we got, as, we, as we'll say for every one of these, is we've got to seek to increase our fear of God. And specifically, I would give one specific way, and that would be to understand the piercing gaze of God. And this is what we've got to understand, right? That we're not alone, ever. He's, never, he's always with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And He sees everything. Psalm thirty-three, thirteen: The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. He sees us all the time. 
wherever we're at. There's no hiding place. There's no tree big enough. He sees everything. Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, not only does he see us where we're at, I, the Lord, search the heart, test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. He not only sees what you're doing, he sees the motive in your heart about what's going on. And so we sometimes go, well, if as long as nobody sees, that's fine, and I'm not going to do it because I know God's going to see, but I'm going to hide this in my heart. God sees your heart. He has a piercing gaze. Luke 16, 15. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And what, what relief is there? There's a huge amount of relief in the piercing gaze of God. Because there you have the fear of God, and you don't have to have the fear of man. There's relief in that. It's not something to run from. There's certainly no other way to, to overcome this sin other than, than the gospel. That's why he is, as Christopher well pointed out, the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way. Let's go to Hebrews. Go with me to Hebrews 10. And, and look at the hope that we see in Hebrews 10 of the gospel. And not just that he cleanses us from sin, but he gives us so much more. Hebrews 10. <clears throat> I'm going to read just through part of the passage here. Follow along with me and see not just the gospel and what Christ does in cleansing us for sins, but all the trappings that go with it. For since, starting verse 1, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. There, it, it's impossible for there to be any other way to, to salve the conscience, to escape, to hide. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for Me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his, at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. 
Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. It's incredibly freeing. That not only have you been forgiven, you've gained the Holy Spirit. Not only have you gained the Holy Spirit, it's done once for all, over. And he remembers it no more. As far as the east is from the west. We don't have to continually go and, 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 and do something. We found forgiveness in Christ. And certainly we go and ask for forgiveness and for repent once again as commanded in Scripture. But it's done. The work of Christ is finished. It has been accomplished once and for all. So that should lead us to repent of our sin that causes fear and shame. Repent of the fear of man. Turning to the fear of God. Turning to see his piercing gaze. And yet, as you notice here, he sees all that sin and yet his loving gaze in providing the cross of Christ for us. What should our response be? We should seek to increase the fear of God by understanding the piercing gaze of God. We should, we should understand the, that there is no other hope found but in the gospel. And then the third uh, response, I believe, should be that we should draw close to the family of God. We should draw close to the family of God. Listen to this quote by Ed Welch. When we think of ourselves as alone and isolated, we will always be prone to fear other people. Isolation and the fear of man are close companions. Yet when we truly understand that God has called us to participate in a larger family, i.e. the church, we are free. Church begins to feel a little more like a family sitting with us in our living room. Better yet, we feel like a family sitting together at the feet of Jesus, sitting around the throne. With family, there is no self-consciousness, no embarrassment, no fear. The church is a place we can hide, but it's really a place that we should feel the most comfortable because this is the place where the answers lie. Not with us, but we know the truth, the truth of the gospel. So you can go to a brother in Christ and say, help me. I'm, I'm struggling with this. I'm fearing this. Knowing that this, this, this individual is not going to, by God's grace, take and expose all this, but, but help you and bring you once again to the cross of Christ and say, brother, here's the answers. Come to Christ again. Here's where it's wrong. Here's the help. Here's how Scripture provides the answers. And yet, instead of, instead of closing off, this should be a place where we should go when we have sin. We should go back to the church. We should go back to the family. You know, wh- why is there example so often in Scripture? The prodigal son. Why did he go back to the father? Why do we oftentimes go back to the Lord? There should be that love that is in within the family of God. There should be that care that's within the family of God. That an individual in sin, even in the fighting of that shame, can go to a brother or sister in Christ and and have help that is provided from Scripture, but help that is provided and given to us. The gospel, increasing our understanding of the, the gaze, the piercing gaze of the Lord, the loving gaze of the Lord upon us, and going to the family should be our responses. Let's pray. <coughs> Father in heaven, we uh, thank you for the truth of Scripture. Uh, we thank you, Father, that we, we need not fear those who can harm the body or kill the body, but rather that we are to fear the one who can take the soul. And Lord, we desire to fear you and 
Father, this is a difficult study. Seeing in my own life the, the expo- how clearly this, the different ways that I seek to hide or cover. And, and yet, Lord, help us to, to understand that sin is to be dealt with. That um, fear of being exposed, even if it's not exposure of sin, of just different than what people think we are. That, that, that's not the way we are to live life. We're not to be expending our energy, jumping through hoops, charading, in order to, to promote an image of what is not true. But to realize that we were never acceptable to you, and yet you first loved us. And to realize that our it is, it is much more important of how you view us than how the world views us. We pray and ask, Lord, that you would give us the grace to be a family of God that loves others enough to help, to give grace when needed, to challenge when needed, to exhort when needed. Father, I pray that we would not uh, in our sin, seek our own, our man's devices of coping with that, but we would uh, come in repentance of that sin, that we would go and confess that sin, we would gain the accountability, we'd gain the strength of the body of Christ in our sin. Help us, Lord, not to, to view any sin lightly, but to view it all as, a, as dishonoring, displeasing to you. Worthy of all your wrath. And yet, Lord, then may we turn and seek holiness and at, at of understanding once again that that wrath was swallowed up in your love upon the cross. And, that, and because of that wrath, that love is so much more beautiful. We thank you for the day that we've given. We thank you for the opportunity to now fellowship. And I pray that that would be a sweet and encouraging time to many. We would grow and I'll walk with you because of it. Pray that you be preparing our hearts for the hearing of the word in the next service. And don't let us, Father, walk through these doors and not make practical application and not, and not change and conform to the image of your Son because of what we heard. Don't let us do that. Help us, Father, to make the change necessary. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.